Hi everyone, my name is Dustin Elliott and welcome back to another episode of the Better Questions Better Life podcast, formerly known as the Y2 podcast. Each week I try and answer a simple but important question. How can we ask better questions to live better lives? To do that, each week I bring you dedicated episodes where I break this question down into bite-sized, thought-provoking and tactical episodes designed to help you ask better questions, pulled from industry experts, science, as well as my own observations and learnings. I also find and interview a range of industry-leading professionals, and that'll be today's episode as well, who all depend on asking good questions in order to achieve their work. From police detectives, journalists, scientists, medical professionals, and many more to glean the lessons and techniques they use to successfully do their jobs and to help you ask better questions. As always, I want to give a very quick thank you to the Better Questions, Better Life podcast sponsor, YZ. YZ is an easy-to-use online training software that makes it so simple to create and deliver online learning. If you haven't already, I really encourage you to check it out as the platform is very flexible and you can automate it, automate rather, a whole range of tasks in your business. So from managing all of your employee training, train customers and partners in your products, track licenses and qualifications of your staff, create and sell online courses, capture more leads with free online courses, and so much more. So if you haven't already, make sure you jump over to their website at yz.com, that's w-y-z-e-d.com, to check out some videos and even get started with your own 14-day free trial. Remember, if you like this episode and you want to hear more, you got to make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, These episodes are going to continue to come out. I'm really excited to finally have launched the episodes off in 2019, and each week they'll continue to grow and build on previous weeks. So you got to make sure you subscribe so you didn't miss out on any new episodes. And of course, I love if you can leave me a five-star review, if you like the episode, of course. Make sure you jump over to the website. Uh, It's going to be betterquestionsbetterlife.co where you can find links, resources, soon to be a blog, and a whole lot more. And of course, you can join in on the conversation where you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram at betterquestionsbetterlife. And of course, because that is a terribly long name, you can also follow along on social media through the hashtag BQBL. With that being said, we're going to get into today's episode. And today I'm delighted to bring you David Walker. But before uh, we get to David's interview, I want to just take a quick minute to really set the stage for David's interview. As when you first start my listening to it, when you first start listening to it, rather, uh, today's conversation is going to be a little bit different than previous guests on the podcast. The reason for that is I wanted to bring David on to lean on his experience as a meditation coach, as well as through his own coaching practice, Core Truth. The thing is, is that through my experience, our ability to remain present in conversations, as well as our own mental paradigms, level of mental resilience, and our experiences really provide the foundation which everything else that we'll talk about here on the podcast is built upon. So while we do talk about questions in today's chat, we largely focus on how to improve those things I've just listed and uncover and discover different ways to look at things to help us shore that foundation up. That way we can be much more confident uh, to build on a lot of the other concepts that we'll both talked about already on the podcast and we'll continue to talk about in future episodes. But with that being said, let's get today's chat. David, welcome to the Y2 Podcast. Thank you. Thanks so it's much for being nah, invited me. 
It's, it's an absolute pleasure. It's, uh, it's, it's been fantastic chat with you. Obviously, we've chatted a, f- a few times prior to, to today's interview, and I've already I've learned so much about yourself and, and in terms of even your thinking and your, your consulting and all that. And uh, I said, I've already learned so much. So I'm excited to have the opportunity to sit down today with yourself on the YT podcast and dive into that a little bit deeper for both myself selfishly, but also as well too for my listeners as well too. So, so thank you very much for making your time available today. Most welcome. So I suppose where I want to start off with is, as always, is just to talk and uh, learn a little bit more about yourself for my listeners. So I'd love if you can just start us off today just to tell us a little bit about who you are and a little bit about what you do. Sure, sure. So, yeah, I've have had my business Core Truth for the last 14 or 15 years now, and it was driven from my own desire to understand why I do the, the things that I do, you know, and why I show up the way that I show up and, and my blind spots and, you know, and knowing uh, what my Core Truth is. And I, and I was working with, a, with a, an ex-Zen Buddhist monk back then who was teaching me how to meditate. Mm-hmm. And he used to give me an analogy that the Buddhist monks would use. That he said, "There's a there's a core of steel that sits within every single person, uh, but for most part, that steel isn't tempered. It isn't strengthened, which means that circumstances of life and emotions and stories can come and bend you out of shape. But by bringing your attention into that into that um, knowing space, that it tempers it. It becomes strong." Mm-hmm. You know, you're not rigid, but you're strong. So it's like being the the peace amongst the storm, if you like, finding that eye in the storm. So mm-hmm. that's what sort of uh, fueled me at the beginning to do what I do. And now it's really about coaching and mentoring, facilitation. And I also run retreats overseas as well for my for my clients. Yeah, you were recently over in uh, the, the Big Islands, weren't you? That's right. That's right. Kauai was beautiful. Beautiful. Very much recommend it. Yeah, well, you, you managed to escape at a perfect time as well, too. Not, not to sound too soft for my overseas listeners, but uh, Australia in the wintertime, uh, Sydney and Melbourne, it can still be a bit, uh, a bit chilly in its own right. Surprisingly, so. surprisingly <laughs> chilly. Yes, I, that was definitely one of my motives to get out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfect timing. Excellent. Well, where I really want to start off with today is, is to kind of get a little bit more granular in terms of the, some of the techniques and strategies you use. Um, one of the things we spoke about, one of the challenges that we bring when we talk about and, and ask questions, probably more importantly of ourselves in this conversation, but we, we unfortunately come with this sort of uh, years and years and years of, of these calloused sort of experiences and beliefs and, and values and framework, and that can sometimes start to create some rigidity. So as we try to ask questions to, to break through something that we want or getting that insight, sometimes we bounce against these these walls. Or I think as you talk about it, we kind of bounce against this box. And as you try to work with clients, obviously, it's about expanding beyond that, which I think we can all agree that we want to grow and we want to get, you know, understand more. But I'd love just to start off with today, if you can start to talk us through some of the strategies uh, that you use to, when you're working with your clients, to help to get them to be able to break through from the box. And I think you've got a rather cheeky saying as well, too, that you, uh, you frequently talk about. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, a very long time ago, I was introduced to something that was called the new paradigm at the time. And 
you know, it lends, it lent itself very well with what I was becoming aware of at the time. And that is that it just wasn't making sense to me to try and resolve a problem from within the same structure that created the problem in the first place. And, you know, so, so I know that's a famous quote, I think from somebody too, but Albert Einstein, I believe. Albert Einstein, exactly. Yeah. And, and so I came to that same sort of question. I was thinking, well, you know, it doesn't make sense because you haven't got objectivity. You haven't got a different viewing platform. And, and then at that time I was, you know, developing my practice and working with some, you know, some pretty incredible mentors. And one introduced me to this paradigm, which was actually called the 100% personal responsibility paradigm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it basically consisted of two premises. One of them, the one you were just mentioning, is is the assertion that, you know, I create or choose whichever word works best for the person's ears i create choose the whole of my own reality with love and wisdom always and then i put the little brackets around even when it doesn't feel like it (laughs) and and you know working with a premise like that is very powerful because a premise doesn't mean you have to necessarily agree with it it's not a hard fact and i always maintain that as soon as another one that's stronger and truer in my life comes along, then I would adopt that too. Uh, but it does allow a concrete container to play in and to, and to go against those edges, as you said, go against the edges of the box that we have sort of self-imposed really over a period mm. of time. So, yeah, I mean, the other, the other premise assu- assumes already that, you're, that you, who you are is not your body or just uh, the energy that moves your body. And, in, mm. and as such, that's perfect. There's nothing missing, nothing broken with that. You know, so we, we kind of introduced those two quite, quite uh, shaking premises, really, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But what I found is that with us in our humanness, we need something like that yeah. to, sort of, to create a bit of friction and make us go, what? You know, what did he just say? And it allows for a freedom of thought and, a, and new choices to come along. Hmm. Are there particular, I suppose when you're sitting down with, with, with somebody and as you sort of explain that and start to craft it into their mind, are there certain tips or techniques or strategies that you start to take the client on as you start to take them through, uh, you know, creating that new paradigm or getting them to think bigger than that? Any particular things you take them through or say to them or? You know, quite frankly, it depends on the individual, but the the strategies or the tools tend to be ones which arrest that autopilot. Mm. So it's, I I often refer to it as throwing a spanner in the works. (laughs) There's something has to sort of stop that autopilot thinking that we Mm. all do, you know, that chatter monkey in the head that is often on repeat and saying how not good enough we are and, Mm -hmm. you know, like deciding for us how we need to turn up. Mm -hmm. But anything that actually throws a spanner in the works and gets you to have a moment of pause, <clears throat> excuse me, it's like putting a gap between you and your response or you and your reaction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's where it, it lends itself to what, what you mentioned before, and that is there, there has to be some kind of mindfulness, actually, uh, a mindfulness practice brought in to help that. So mm-hmm. that's definitely one of the key ones would be around building that practice. So in terms of focusing on the, 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 the goal isn't necessarily to, to uh, focus on um, changing the, the paradigm per se, but you're, you're kind of saying you focus on trying to build the gap 
as the way that it becomes the mechanism which kind of stops that that's that uh, that loop that feedback loop in our brains kind of thing yeah and you know obviously the paradigm then has an opportunity you can you can then remind yourself if you're not on autopilot you can go okay i may be feeling like i'm at the effect of life or stuff is happening mm. to me you know which isn't feeling very great it doesn't feel very empowered but if i'm on autopilot i have nothing else available to me whereas if i've somehow brought in some mindfulness i can replace that conversation with it but you know but i'm learning about this premise that says i create the whole of my own reality so what would what would this circumstance look like if i looked at it through those viewing from that viewing mm-hmm. platform if you like and it allows then something else to come up it allows a new a new set of circumstances to show up for you. Mm. This maybe seem like a bit of an odd question, but when you teach that technique, is it something that you try to think uh, or try to empower your client that that should become the new way that they, uh, that they ask questions and that they view, or is it one of those things that they, when, when they exercise, when they need to go through that exercise, they sit down, they put on their metaphoric new glasses of saying there's this limitless sort of um, opportunities. And I want to try to, put aside my, my, my what if and turn off the monkey mind and go through that process? Or again, is it something that you try to encourage them to think about all the time, 24-7, 365? So, <clears throat> you know, it, it's, it's unlikely that somebody would be able to do a 24-7, 365 because we, we are coming in this human wrapping and we have got lots of thoughts and we have got lots of emotions, yeah? yeah. But any break in that, in that conversation... Mm-hmm at some point is going to give you a moment to have that opportunity to think or or act differently. And what I find is that it's, you know, a very gradual process for most people. Mm. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that I will often get somebody to do is to set just uh, a silent alarm on their phone, particularly in the pocket and every hour that alarm will go off. And they don't have to do anything apart from just stop mm. here, notice what's going on, you know. And that happening every hour is that many hours worth of time not being at the mercy of your thoughts and so on and so on. You just keep gradually building that over a period of time. I wouldn't say that it's very wise to try and get rid of anything. Don't try and get rid of your thoughts. And I think this is why a lot of people tend to shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to building meditation into their life because they have this idea, they've been told that it's meant to be empty and nothing's meant to be happening. And of course, you know, hand up, I've tried that and it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, same, no worries well too, yeah. So don't don't go into battle with your thinking and your thoughts. You know, don't go into battle with your emotions. It's more about can you become the observer, the witness of those so that you don't have to fall prey to them, I guess, is the, is the way that I would frame it. Mm. And incrementally you build that practice up. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And, and on a, on a personal note as well, too, I, I've talked about this on my, my regular full podcast when I sit down with people and I, I learn about their journeys, but I've, I've talked about how, uh, and you mentioned the gap and, and I, I absolutely love that analogy. And it's, it's what I use when I try to talk about mindfulness and meditation because it's to me, my meditation is a means to develop the gap, right? That's, yeah. that's sort of the goal there. 
but I, I talk about on the podcast that kind of prior to meditation and, and therefore mindfulness, I, I feel that or I find that or I, th- I believe that I've, uh, I have a bit of a, a pessimistic wiring in my brain. So it's, it's, uh, I can look back on previous behaviors and I can see actions and activities that were the result of that pessimistic, pessimistic wiring. So something would happen, I would go into a pessimistic state and that obviously drove both what I did, but more importantly, how I felt. But m- mindfulness and meditation has given me the gap to yeah. go, something's happened and go, whoa, hang on a sec. I-, I do need to play that observer role to say, what is that? What-, what was that? But for me, where I've sort of come back is I used to try to ignore that. I used to say yeah. battle with the emotion, I think is sort of what made me think of it because I would go, go away, pessimism. You're not right. Go away. You're, you're-, you're bad. You're harmful. But being more of an observer has given me the ability to say, Ooh, there's some pessimism there, or there's some fear there. What is that? And, yes. and try to tap into the wisdom that, Ooh, maybe there is some, maybe there is something there. How can I maybe try to mitigate that? I, I don't want to believe that that would happen, but maybe I need to, to sort of uh, entertain that and try to uh, be aware of that, but it's in that observer kind of way. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I find that, you know, apart from not going into battle with your thinking, which is, you know, you, you will never win, yeah. <clears throat> you know, becoming the observer allows you to, you know, listen to what that pessimism, if we're using your example, listen to what that pessimism actually is about. Because what we're really good at in our humanness is taking things personally. Yeah. So that pessimism all of a sudden is I'm pessimistic instead of perhaps which is more accurate way of putting it is I'm experiencing pessimism. Mm. I'm experiencing something called pessimism moving through my body right now, for instance. Yeah. And so as the observer of it, it, it gives you more objectivity and more space around that reaction so that you don't have to keep taking it personally. Mm. I, I, I do want you to keep going on that, though, because I've, I've heard this come up a few times. I know Tim Ferriss talked about that don't identify necessarily with I or me, or I think it's I usually or whatnot. But uh, in, in that, can you talk just a little bit more about, about why we would necessarily want to do that? Like, other than taking it personally, what are some of the reasons why somebody might want to try to catch themselves in that moment and rephrase it? Well, I think it does still serve to say that the reason why we have those autopilot responses comes down to safety a lot of the time. Mm. You know, it's because we, you know, it's inherently change is uncomfortable, as we all know, when we're in our humanness, we don't want really change. And because it opens up to all kinds of things. And, and really, when, it, when it's all nutted down, the thing that we are trying to avoid is our emotions, <laughs> feeling uncomfortable emotions. Yeah. So one of the key things, you know, that I focus on with my clients, I call it emotional resilience, like building up your ability to be with those emotions and those thoughts that bring up emotions so that they don't have to have, to have so much power. Mm. So, you know, but understanding, like you have to understand that it's the intention of the pessimism is actually quite good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you think mm-hmm. about it, it has got an intelligence of its own, but it's just misguided. You know, it's, it's an autopilot, uh, you know, habit, really. 
and habit is our perception on repeat. That's yeah. all, you know. So you know, any any opportunity to put that gap in is going to not have to. You're not going to have to keep on wiring that path of least resistance, mm-hmm. giving, it, giving it your energy. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important too. And something something you said that I thought about as well as you know. A lot, I mean, the Y2 podcast and this mini series is a, it, it is talk. We talk a lot about asking other people questions, right? Asking their friends and colleagues and significant other. But at the core of it, and what I'm really, to me, deeply passionate about in this podcast, at the very core of it, is the questions we ask ourselves. But part of asking the question is also being prepared for the answer that we might get. So, uh, sometimes, and, and I've even experienced it as well, you might ask a question and the answer might be painful or discomfortable, right? It might be, it might be a, tr- a realization or a truth that maybe doesn't sit well with, with who we want to be or who we identify ourselves as, as that's who we are. Yeah. And it's in that, it's, it's important that we talk about the question, but it's important that we're also aware of how we're going to react to that answer. Because again, back to that sort of that, you know, I've, I've felt pessimistic. I've, I've had those, um, I've had those sort of those, those thoughts that sometimes that can be the end of the question where that really needs to be the start of the question asking. And exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> the, Sorry, I lost my thread there for a minute because I wanted to say something and it was really important with what you were saying there. So just let me have a moment. What was it you said again, Dustin? You're just talking about how when we ask ourselves those questions, sometimes the answers can be really uncomfortable and we can shy away from that. But really, that's where the start of the process actually needs to start. It's not in the first question, but it's in that first uncomfortable answer is where the questions really need to start and that loop goes. And this, is, and this is where the second premise comes into play. Because if you are sitting in your life <laughs> and, exp- and believing that pessimism is you, for instance, mm-hmm. or angry is you or sad is you, then, you know, you can see how putting in a premise that distinguishes you away from your behaviors or mm-hmm. you and your experiences really helps. Because, because otherwise you're going to take everything personally yeah. Yeah, and you're going to always shy away from exploring what, what are those really deeper level, most important and revealing questions. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, you can see then why emotional resilience is a really good thing to be able to build because the more you do that, the more you're okay with it. The more you do that and you realize you don't die. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> you know, okay. You know? It's okay. And you can, you know, turn to face pessimism and sadness and angriness and all those other things that we judge so harshly and we still exist. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, we can get to the other side of it and that's where we feel much more expanded mm. again. And does that thing come back to what you mentioned earlier? And I'm going to get the wording wrong, but that's sort of that 100% ownership where you can then identify that, okay, now now I can say, okay, this isn't me. This is just what I'm I'm feeling. This isn't I'm not angry. I'm just feeling angry. And then where that ownership piece comes into play to say, okay, if there's a difference between changing me and changing how I feel, one is seems like an unsurmountable mountain and one seems like a a boulder which we can get at right yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. <clears throat> yeah the 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 premise is very powerful i mean you know the a lot of people <laughs> i would love to put in this distinction too 
by the way. Mm. And that is, is a lot of people, when they begin that sort of work, the reason why they take, take it quite in a jarring way is because they, they still have that word responsibility mean burdened, heavy, mm. guilty, I'm bad, I'm wrong to have created the whole of my own reality this way and why it looks like this, right? So that's, that's why there has to be a, a very important distinction there, and that is, is that it's not just your conscious mind mm. that we, we experience ourselves to be that is choosing. You know, we have a, we have a whole <laughs> other aspect of ourselves, as yeah. we know, you know, that, that is also choosing the whole of our own reality, and that's also the soul, the soul aspect, the energy that moves our body is also has that, mm. that impact on our choices. So I know that most people at the beginning of process will always hear that I with this little body I, mm -hmm. like the Dustin I or the David I. But we do have to actually get that distinction in place to realize there's a whole lot more going on than what we think and what we're aware of. And, it, and it's said to be, I mean, you may have even heard this before, I'm not sure, you know, that out of a zero to 100% consciousness, we are perhaps, if lucky, seven and a half percent of the time conscious of our choices. Believe That's that. Like totally shocking, though, isn't it? Yeah. To think, you know, when, when I ask groups about that, they often sit around the 30 or 40 percent and, and they look visibly shaken when I say, you know, seven and a half, let's round it up to 10 so you feel a little bit better. Yeah. But that does say that there's a whole whacking 90 percent, which is still choosing, which is still creating the whole of your own reality, choosing the whole of your own reality. And, and I find that that's really a, an important distinction to make. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting you say that. And that, that brings me back to a conversation I had uh, with somebody else I've interviewed on the podcast, uh, Brenton McKittrick. Uh, and he, he references a book, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, but, but basically, the premise is kind of like what you're saying, that there's, there's this whole other side of it that you don't know is running, right? Like it's, it's back there, and you, you, you know you're still alive, and you get in your car and you drive, but you're not quite aware of the subconscious. And so we talked about how it's a matter as well as being very wary of what you are feeding your sub your subconscious and language is a really key ingredient in that because like you said, we're aware of the 7.6, but we need to begin to think about how can we influence or how can we be aware of that through the positive inputs and, and how that starts to drive us. So I admit I never really took the whole language thing. I thought it was a bit, um, uh, I didn't really believe in it until till recently. And then as you think about, okay, why did I say that? And about how, hang on a sec, maybe that's how I think as well. And how can I start to change that? And how does that start to change automatically the other 90%, right? If that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense, you know. And I think even just, you know, that's where you get to see why a mindfulness practice or meditation actually does support because you become much more practiced at being conscious of the words that come out of your mouth. And it can sometimes, you know, and I have a lot of, um, you know, uh, I, I feel for people on the journey of this, because it certainly was my experience anyway, that it becomes quite analytical at times, because mm. you're sort of almost overthinking it, which is not mindfulness. But over time, that does dissipate, and it just becomes your ability to observe, which is, which is powerful, you know, and allows you to be mindful. It's, it's, it's almost like uh, the point of meditation, meditation, the pure point of meditation anyway, is just so that you can place your attention on what you choose to yeah. rather than having it run away with your monkey mind. If 
you get a feeling of bliss and oneness and relaxation and open and spaciousness, that's like a beautiful, what I call a Brucey bonus. You know, you just have this little <laughs> extra, extra thing that's on top of it. But actually when you nut it down, your ability to be with whatever is going on and having your attention on, you know, quite simply the one thing at a time is where the, where the essence of it is for me, yeah. mm. or that, that particular practice anyway. Yeah, I think it's important too. And I mean, I, I still really love the fact that I'm, I'm very much a student through this process and I'm still, I, I, I've been doing this for a while, but the one thing that made me think of it and it kind of felt back to your example earlier, how you tell your clients to set a silent alarm. One thing I got into is, is focusing on gratefulness and, and, a, and a gratefulness practice. Um, I back to kind of that mindfulness and as a way to kind of yeah. cultivate it in a specific way. So I had a, um, I had an app and I can't remember the name of it, but it basically pings you in the morning and it pings you in the evening and you set the timers and you, you focus on three things you're grateful for uh, when you first wake up and then in the evening, three things that happen fantastic and something like that. And what I found yeah. is it was exactly that. I was way too analytical about it. I'm thinking, sitting there thinking, hmm, what good happened to me today? You know, it was like, well, was that good? I don't know if that was good. Does it constitute something I should write down? But after a while, I found that I gravitated away from that because I became much more just in tune to it. And I would find that things would happen and I was finding and I was catching myself more often than not than looking for the positivity. Something bad would happen and I'm going, well, at least this didn't happen or it could have been worse, right? Yes. So that sort of process where you need to set that <clears throat> reminder, you go through that process, uh, but after a while, it just becomes who you are and what you do, I guess, eh? Exactly, exactly. Slowly but surely, things start to shift. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. You know, one other thing, too, I want to sort of explore with yourself. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about mindfulness, and, and, I, and I certainly, again, a full emphasis, I'm still a student of meditation and mindfulness, and I'm still, I'm still sort of wobbling my way through, the, through this. But I want to take the opportunity when I'm sitting with yourself as, as an expert and to sort of address something. I can bang on about this as I do way too much on my podcast about, you know, apps like Headspace and, and focusing on mindfulness and lovely Dara Simkin came on and she talked about if you want to be mindful, you know, brush your teeth with the other hand kind of thing. But I still, I still find myself having conversations with people and I'll get things like, you know, oh, I, I can't really sit for, um, you know, 20 minutes or half an hour. I don't have time to do this. I suppose for yourself, when you hear those sorts of things or you hear people saying, again, oh, I can't do this, sit down in traditional uh, activities, what sort of things do you suggest to them in terms of how to build that gap um, that we've spoken about today? So, you know, first of all, I, th I, f I feel like it's, it's clearing up what, you know, what somebody's making meditation and stillness mean. That's mm -hmm. really key at the beginning. And that's why, you know, with Peace of Mind Meditation Training, my, my other uh, business that sits alongside Core Truth is just about debunking all the mystery stuff around <laughs> meditation. And, you know, I mean, you probably know I live right smack bang in the middle of Sydney, right near the city. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I made a conscious choice to put myself in there because if, you know, I don't, you're going to still have lots of challenge, even if you were sitting in a cave, believe me, but, <laughs> but you know, being in amongst it all, <clears throat> as most of us have very busy lives, you know, the, the point is, is to be able to build it in, in a way that actually works for you. 
And so that's, you know, key thing is to remove the idea that you've got to be empty and still and oming and, you know, cross-legged on your, on your rock. Incense burning away. Yes, exactly. And all of those things, because what I came to realize quite a while ago is that I actually believe that every person, because it's in, it's actually who we are, human, you know, the being part of us is, naturally a meditation if, if, mm-hmm. if i could put it that way and so therefore it would be impossible for us not to have parts of our day that has a type of meditation in it mm-hmm. now some people might identify with it really easily if they're you know people who climb walls and push themselves to the edge physically because in those moments they have to be in the here and now yeah. they have to be in that moment you know and and otherwise it's life threatening you know <laughs> yeah. or at least they're going to hurt themselves so but but you know it's in those things where you lose yourself you know and you've all of a sudden it's two hours later there's a mm-hmm. form of meditation going on where you've disengaged by you've disengaged from the thoughts and you're much more focused on one thing mm. does it, yeah. i mean if that's if that's what you were uh, alluding towards anyway yeah absolutely no i think that that's perfect and and even in reflection of my own journey um i love going to the gym and it was only after doing uh, like the, the the 15 20 minute sort of sit, sitting down and and the dedicated meditation session which which i do really enjoy and does does work quite well for me but it was in that moment that like yourself you realize that it's in that moment where you, you get caught up in what you're doing and there's some instances where it's because it's you know it's really imperative so i i know myself if i look back on when I go to the gym, when I used to go to the gym a lot more, I talked about it and I referred to it at the time, not really realizing that the truth to this, but it was moving meditation. Mm-hmm. Because when you're, when you have a, you know, a whole bunch of weight on your back or, you know, pointing bench press, you are utterly focused on the mind muscle connection and the breathing and the bracing and that movement. So even though it might only be for, you know, eight to 15 seconds at a time, you total that up over a couple reps, over a day, over a month, or for a run, it's amazing actually that is, it's mindfulness. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the only thing that I would ever add to that though is that if you then wake up to the fact that that's what's happening, <laughs> then you get more, more benefit from it in my, in my experience anyway because you, you're not there going, I should meditate, I should mm. be doing this, I should be doing that. You actually, you know, you can own that you do. It's just a different form. Yeah. You know? And then you can go from there. You can add in more you know that that is more more consciously doing a practice of of meditation and mindfulness but i do believe that you know everyone underneath it all has their own built in somewhere in their life even if they're the craziest busiest person you know there has to be something yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. And then, but yeah, and then that becomes an amazing on-ramp to then start to realize that, start to practice it, and then start to expand that practice as I've, um, I'm sure was very similar to my journey. And, and when, I, when, I, when I talk to people as well, and, and for people listening who aren't necessarily, you know, again, with the idea that they're going to sit and be incense and as they spoke about trying yeah. to spell that, but just to think about those little everyday things that they may be doing in life and thinking about how can they do it mindfully. So, you know, walking yeah. the dog. That could be just as simple as that. It doesn't have to be its own separate thing. It can be as ingrained as breathing, essentially, yeah. which is exactly what a lot of meditative practice is. Focus on the totally. breath. You know, totally. you know, not necessarily while you're driving necessarily, or maybe while you're driving, but you know, in most instances, it's pretty easy to do that. But Absolutely. And it's oh, free. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's, and that's for anybody that says I'm too busy. It's yeah. like, not. it's, you know, if you're, yeah. if you're breathing, you can be mindful. So I, I think that's, um, and that's how I go. You know, I actually concur with, with who you mentioned before, you know, you can use literally anything to be a meditation. Mm. So being in a form of meditation, you can still be talking, you can mm. still be interacting and, and what, I, what I foster in my clients is the ability to be able to hold a place of presence within their, their body, but still be getting on with life. <laughs> you know, we don't have to stop to be able to do that. There's different, different ways, I guess, and different benefits. Yeah. But, you know, right down to where you were saying about the friend saying about changing the toothbrush handle, that's a really great one. Showering, just mm-hmm. noticing what it feels like in your body to have the water on your body rather than off and planning your day. Yeah. You know, wondering what breakfast is. Yeah, I love that. It's not like okay, it's I'm done my mindfulness practice. I'm done brushing my teeth. It's off to my day now. It's like now it's it's in, integrated as part of your day. But at the same right time, moment. yeah, I still do. I still do recommend something that was important for me, and, and I've seen a few other people benefit from. But at first, it needs to be a deliberate exercise, and sometimes, and I still catch myself that all of a sudden you just get caught up in the whir of life. The monkey mind starts chattering away, kind of thing. But yeah starting off with something as simple as a sticky note before you're about to go out the door or a silent alarm or pop up on your calendar or the bajillions of apps that you can use, but something to start to, to just poke you in the middle of the day and say, Hey, maybe you could do this and do that. And then after a while it just becomes, I guess its own sort of, uh, you know, you've, you've fed enough into the subconscious and it starts to take over, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. David, this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I really appreciate everything. It's been, it's, it's always, I find, I love having these conversations with people who are, you know, experienced meditators and have go through that and uh, really to reflect back on sort of my, even my own journey as well too. And at the very least, give myself a little bit of confidence that I'm on the right path. I've still a long way to go, but it's really good to, really good to hear that and have the chat. I suppose for yourself, one last quick question I want to ask and as I ask all my guests is, do you have one favorite question that you like to ask yourself or of other people something that you really enjoy asking or or works quite often yes there is and it sounds fairly simple but but when it's framed up it has a profound impact and that is quite simply asking stopping and having the space enough to ask why is it that you're doing that why is it that you're doing that and just Again, it's that throwing the spanner in the works mm-hmm. to, to, you know, put the gap in and to, you know, to give that space in order to reflect and go, okay, I'm, I'm no longer on autopilot. And the moment that I'm not on autopilot, I must be here and mm-hmm. I'm in the present moment. Everything else then can evaporate, you know. That doesn't mean everything changes. We're still in life. <laughs> yeah. but, but you have that spaciousness and and you come back into the seat of choice which is what Mm. the witness gives you but it is simple as that it's like so why is it you you know that 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 just arrests what's going on for a moment and gives opportunity to become self-directed and self-aware yeah okay fantastic dave i really appreciate time thank you so much just for people uh listening they want to stay in touch with yourself or or all the things that you might be doing where can they reach out onto the world where can they reach out to you rather in the world and uh, how can they stay in touch well the usual ones i guess through facebook i have a page there david david walker core truth 
Uh, there's also uh, LinkedIn is a really good one for me as well. I check that quite regularly. Uh, otherwise, just by email, david at coretruth.com.au. Perfect. Excellent. I'll make sure I include all the links in the show notes as well, too. Um, I definitely encourage, I just discovered the other day, you've got, I think it was 78 articles on LinkedIn or something like that. You've got quite a, a bit quite of a, history there, yes. Yeah, quite a proficient <laughs> writer. So there's some really good stuff in there. I love it. So the ones I've seen, they're, they're, they're just really short, concise, easy to read, straight to the point, but really get you, or at least got me, to start thinking about some things as well um, that it's great to pick up in today's conversation as well. So I, uh, again, David, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I look forward forward to speaking with you again soon. Most welcome. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much again for listening to today's episode. Just remember, if you want to join in on the conversation, make sure you jump over to the social media handles. You're going to find us at Better Questions, Better Life on Facebook, Instagram, BQBL underscore on the Twitter. Of course, you can make sure you jump into the hashtag BQBL. Of course, you can check out our website at betterquestionsbetterlife.co. And I obviously, I want to take a quick minute again and thank our sponsor, YZ. Make sure you get started with your own 14-day free trial at yz.com. That's W-Y-Z-E-D.com. With that being said, speak to you next time.